John, we've got breaking news. <laughs> Ain't it cool news? Not quite. No, this is this is uncool news because it's from the Cannes Film Festival, the world's oh, biggest great. film festival, filled with all the impenetrable European art fair and also uh, mainstream American schlock. For nerd nerds like Greg, Greg's like, oh yes, I love I love Cannes. Cannes is my favorite. Nobody calls it. It's not pronounced Cannes in French. They don't. Pronounce I pronounce it, it Cannes. Therefore, it should be pronounced Cannes. <laughs> But anyway, uh, they announced the winners this past Sunday, so this mm-hmm. is already four days late. Everyone's already moved on. But my boy, Hirokazu Kareda, won for his film, Shoplifters. Oh, your boy. So, yeah, congratulations you grew up on the main him. streets of Tokyo. Hell yeah. We started uh, with small uh, documentaries, and then we moved seamlessly into narrative films. Boring mm. family dramas, I just love. Mm, so um, he's been, uh, a lot of his films have been entered in, in competition at Cannes, but uh, he finally pulled out the uh, big victory, so good for him. And good for me, mm. really, for one of my yeah. favorite filmmakers, feeling validated in that way. No, no, lame. <laughs> I don't care. Earlier well, this look, year... until he's until he's nominated for Best Foreign, you know, Film. Oh, he's been nominated. Is, but but that's like, you know, it's like, oh, everyone gets a participation trophy. That's that what that award is for. Because <laughs> if it were a real film, an American film, I would watch it. I oh, would take I notice. Okay. Yeah. Well, next time, again, they're playing at the Landmark near you. I, I saw, last time we saw a movie there, I saw After the Storm was playing. That's the last movie of his that I recommended. I've, no, I want to I wanna see if you are looking up local showtimes in my neighborhood so you can try to no, get I me to go. No, I saw the poster on the wall. <laughs> well, you saw the poster of the last movie he did, not the current yeah. movie. No. Because but... it probably doesn't have distribution. Because it's lame. <laughs> No, it, it it presumably will be released through Sony Pictures Classics, as all his movies are, and it'll be released mm-hmm. in March. So I gotta wait until then. Oh, great! Another yeah. Sony movie. Awesome. Yeah. I can't just... wait till they get insert shots of bio laptops <laughs> and PSPs. This is about a poor family, so yeah, I'm sure they have they have Coke ads. You know, again, it's about literal <laughs> shoplifters, so I'm sure they're gonna uh, purloin some uh, Coke bottles of Coke. I'm gonna shoplift that awesome new PS4 Pro. Yeah. <laughs> it's the hottest rage right now with all yeah. the kids. With exclusives like The Last Guardian. Yeah. <laughs> that Sony Handicamp is mine. <laughs> but, John, I have another piece of breaking news for you. Oh, God. This is just so much news. I can't keep I track. Know. Exactly. It's exhausting already. I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, if you remember a few weeks ago, I gave you an update on one of your favorite bloggers, Devin Farachi. <laughs> Don't, don't throw me under the bus. <laughs> you said you were still going to read him, so... Out of morbid curiosity. I'm not going to support him. I'm not going to give any money to his Patreon, okay? Okay, all right. I thought you were just interested in becoming a born-again Hindu, like him. <laughs> I don't think the correct term is born-again, but okay. uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, but John, I wanted to give you an update on another one of your favorite bloggers from years past. Uh, ain't it cool, Newell's Harry no. Knowles? No. No. Do you remember Maddox? I love Maddox. He has the best website in the universe, .net. Oh, I, yes, he he does currently. Um, mm-hmm. Just to give a little introduction, folks. Uh, back in 2003, 2004, when you and I were getting plugged into the internet, mm-hmm. it was still a space for uh, sardonic, sarcastic men. That was really mm-hmm. that was really their domain, the internet. And one of its uh, <laughs> nowadays in the enlightened times, yeah. that's only 90 percent of the internet. <laughs> Not true, John. I follow many women on Twitter. Okay. Now, they're sardonic and sarcastic, but anyway. Um, one of the stalwarts of this time was a blogger named Maddox, and he uh, and he wrote for, as you said, the best page in the universe. Mm-hmm. And so it was a lot of caustic commentary on pop culture and a few other things. Um, mm-hmm. And, John, you and I found it really funny. Yes. 
but around 2006 or so, we stopped really updating the website. And you and I had grown up. We'd, we'd grown out of thematics. Uh, yeah, and also I think he pivoted to video. Ew, gross. So. <laughs> yes, indeed he did. Around uh, 2012 or so, he started a YouTube channel and a podcast with uh, another oh. another uh, internet character who went by the uh, pseudonym Dick Masterson. <laughs> Great. Yeah, so Very clever. Yeah, Very clever, guys. Another, another charming fellow, as you can tell, just like Maddox. <laughs> And so they had a, a podcast for a while, but John, they've had a falling out. Unfortunately, oh, no. yeah, there seems to be. You're some... telling me Dick Maddox couldn't get along. <laughs> Dick Masterson and Maddox couldn't get it together. Yeah, I know. Well, there was there's a there was a political shift, sort of. Uh, apparently, some they divided on politics, but also apparently, uh, Dick Masterson slept with a, an ex girlfriend of Maddox's. So, wow. Yeah, and podcast so John, that... drama gold. Yes, I love it. <laughs> Well, John, speaking of drama, this isn't really notable until what I learned this week. Now they, they've gone their separate ways. They have different podcasts. Maybe they let bygones be bygones until Maddox mm-hmm. and his current girlfriend are suing Dick Masterson to the tune of $380 million. Wow. Yeah. So how much do they think podcasts are worth? <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. I don't know how many copies of The Alphabet of Manliness Maddox sold back in the day, but... Uh, a lot of it has to do... He's also implicating Patreon, because that's how they support their respective podcasts. Um, mm-hmm. and there's another internet troll... AKA the only for... way podcasters make money. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's an internet troll that he's also brought into this lawsuit. So, John, the reason I wanted to bring it up... I wanted to bring it up for primarily two reasons. Number one, mm-hmm. um, it's interesting how, you know, one of the stalwarts of the early sardonic inter- internet era, a little over a decade later, pulls the most humorless move... <laughs> ever, and that's suing for <laughs> emotional damages. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it also points how fragile you know, these podcast partnerships are. So uh, let it serve as a warning, John. If you ever sleep with one of my ex-girlfriends, <laughs> I'm taking you for every penny you have. A precedent has been set. <laughs> yeah, right, like you'd ever catch me in bed with one of those dogs. Ew, I just... <laughs> Ouch, John. John, that didn't hurt me. That hurt them, okay? <laughs> well, it's funny that, yeah, like, uh, so one of the podcasts I listen to, which is actually very huge, uh, My Favorite Murder, mm-hmm. they have confessed that they actually do grow to therapy together um, uh, <laughs> because they are in this like kind couples of... couples therapy? No, just like kind of like business therapy, <laughs> close to that. Because again, they have to they have this financial relationship that's at stake. So if there, if there was a falling out, then they need to be able to kind of reconcile that. So it is kind of funny that these relationships kind of develop and they need, you know, intermediaries sometimes because it can be stressful. You know, you're talking with each other for hours on a day and you have this, you know, business empire that's kind of entwined. So things, you know, it's, it's kind of like being in a couple and it might be, end up like a divorce when things don't work out. So I totally understand it. Are they meeting with an attorney or an actual couples therapist? No, like a therapist. Okay, I would, I would yeah. meet with. And a... they're both women, so you know they're both hysterical. So you know <laughs> they just have raging emotions that they can't control. You know how it is. Good fellas, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, they... Which is why I'm kind of surprised you brought up the fact that Maddox and this co-host Dick Dastardly, like, <laughs> kind of like, had this falling out with politics because. Maddox's stuff does seem kind of very alt-righty uh, in this day and age. Well, but no, he, I think he, he's, uh, according he, to the, what I read of it, the sum- summary, he kind of pivoted to the left. Well, no, he's always been kind of left-leaning because, again, yeah. I remember in his early days, he was one of the biggest uh, opponents of Bill O'Reilly. And Bill O'Reilly. He hated yeah. his guts, and he would like write about his you know stupid commentary. I mean, these were simpler times. This is the George W. Bush era, so yeah. yeah. Well, it was more 
the more kind of I think you're right the attitude sort of Maybe. a more attitude that he that the alt right certainly adopted exactly and I mean that's where the that's where the alt right started yeah it's but... this toxic masculinity that infects this precious precious internet of ours this sure. beautiful tool that we use to communicate all over the world it's just infected with this horrible horrible toxic masculinity Ugh, gross get it out of here sure <sighs> just look at just look at a uh, Maddox's avatar of him as a pirate <laughs> and, that's, and you think yes that's toxic masculinity right there. <laughs> Well, Greg, the reason why I bring it up because what movie should we talk about in order to kind of rid ourselves of this toxic masculinity? Well, not rid ourselves. Maybe maybe we need to to climb deeper into the crevasse to escape it. You know, sometimes you have to go down in order to get out, in order to get oh, up okay. again. So <laughs> let's do that here with the movie we're looking at this week, the classic. Sorry, it's just while you were explaining that, all I could think of is dig up, stupid, dig up. <laughs> But again, let's 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 dive deeper with the classic western, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I had to do it myself. I just I, we can't. We put in the clips later, so I have to do it for myself now. <laughs> Got it. Now, John, we had already seen this movie. I, I assure you, we had already seen this movie because um, there were many a lazy Sunday afternoon in our household. Mm-hmm. Uh, our father and us, we had finished all our chores. What do we do to fill the rest of the day? And our father had the perfect <laughs> solution. Let's open up. Let's go to the, the shelf of VHS tapes. Let's get the uh, the bootleg tape he made of the VCR, mm. and then bam, on in the background is the good, ba- good, the bad, and the ugly. Ugh, yes, these were these were our pre-cable days, so yeah. we didn't have AMC, so then we could just flip to that channel and it would naturally be on. So, yeah. Oh, and you're thinking of the outlaw Josie Wales or Pale Rider, <laughs> okay, or S- Seven Mules for Sister Sarah or something. I don't know. <laughs> Clint Eastwood has been in a lot of westerns. Okay. So what is it, John? What is it about this one that makes it so special? Well, again, you you talked about our history with it. It's very much a one of our dad's favorites, so mm-hmm. therefore, in my head, it's kind of a dad movie. But uh, and kind of going along with that whole theme, it's very much a, a masculine movie. I don't think there's a single woman <laughs> actually, you know, given a character name at all. But no. that, that's not true. There's one woman in the whole, entire cast, and she does get slapped around. So yeah, there's also another woman character whose husband uh, gets killed, and she and she <laughs> mourns for about thirty seconds, and that's it. Yes, <laughs> fucking horse. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and also uh, part of the reason why I was a little hesitant to revisit is that this is in the top ten of the IMDb 200 top 50 list. 
And that... uh, I'm always I'm always hesitant to revisit those movies because that's where the law of the land is. This kind of again toxic masculinity rules the day. Yeah, Dark Knight Returns and fucking Infinity War, the best movies ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely a home to uh, a, a certain kind of uh, a male film goer. Mm-hmm. That's where you see uh, you know Fight Club in the top twenty or so. <laughs> yeah, which is foolish. Yeah, that's well. That's interesting. This is in the top ten of. of According to IMDb voters, it's in the top ten movie of all time, and that's kind of its biggest accolade. John, do you think it deserves it, though? It is very good, and okay. um, I enjoyed myself quite a bit. Um, full disclosure, though, we did watch the uh, restored extended version, which runs nearly three hours. Mm. And while I do appreciate the epic scope of this movie, it does kind of drag a bit, <laughs> let's be honest. And I guess as someone who wishes to be a snob, a film snob, as we do, yeah. as we might already be, um, it's hard to kind of separate yourself from the legacy of this film and the um, separate this from the legacy of Sergio Leone. Because again, I'm watching this movie and I'm like, oh, okay, so basically every movie in the 70s is just copying this. Like, you see the Grindhouse inspiration, you see the black exploitation inspiration, you basically... Everything you see the entire there's... filmography of Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, it's just kind of like, as a legacy piece, I was like, okay, I can appreciate it on that level. But also, it is a very, very good movie. Uh, even though it is three hours, it does move at a good clip. There's a lot of plot it gets through. And I do love the kind of epic scope of this. I love the production value of it. Um, the acting is good they're kind of working on thin characters so i don't you know i gotta give them some credit mm-hmm. but you know they're all they're all you know it's 60s acting so it's you know over the top and it's well fun, it's so. also a spaghetti western so you have american actors speaking in english acting opposite italian actors speaking in a foreign tongue you know how exactly how yeah. exactly do you relate to your fellow actor that way exactly well film is the universal language indeed it is why do you think guillermo del toro keeps getting accolades come on in <laughs> Ouch! Huge slam on. We'll get to Guillermo del Toro later. Um, okay. I'm a, I am actually surprised to hear you say that to um, pour pour over all these uh, accolades on it, John, because I, I I find this movie really messy. This feels like a rough draft to me. Um, if you look on a we, on a previous episode, we looked at Sergio Leone's last western. It was, he said it was going to be his last one after directing you know these uh, this movie and two others starring Clint Eastwood, mm-hmm. and, as well as another one. And that one felt like a complete film to me. This one doesn't. I found that, yes, it's it's laboriously long. Mm-hmm. I found that the story goes in all these weird divergent directions. It doesn't even star Clint Eastwood. The real star of the movie is Eli Wallach as uh, Tuco. <laughs> this movie should be called The Misadventures of Tuco. I'm 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 just going to refer to them as Tuco, the Bad and the Ugly, because yeah. there are three title characters. Even though the bad, the quote-unquote bad character, he's barely in it. And that is kind of one of the demerits of the movie is the fact that you'd think that they would each like get a nice sliver of the pie, but the bad is very much it's it's the movie is more centered on the relationship between the good Clint Eastwood and yes Tuco Eli uh, Watt, uh whatever his name is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny that you say the relationship. There's so much of this movie devoted just to Tuco and his kind of misadventures. I, I'm thinking mm-hmm. of particular uh he's he's the first character that we're introduced to with the title card the ugly speaking of inspiration on quentin tarantino (laughs) (laughs) exactly and there's not even a line in his opening Uh, again all credit to sergio leone massively talented director uh does this whole scene visually there's no dialogue but 
again, it's kind of introduced like he's just stealing meat. It's just an introduction to him as a bandit. And we don't know what these characters want outside of just naked greed. <laughs> That's very true. And also, he's the only character who kind of gets a little bit of his backstory explained, because at one point, um, they've basically fallen ill in the desert, and they well, end up... Well, not, not quite fallen ill, basically. He's well, okay, Clint one Eastwood's of them has fallen ill in the desert. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I really don't want to go over too much of the plot, because it is very confusing, yeah. um, or at least there's just too much to go through. But he ends up back in the same village as his brother and his brother you know there's that dichotomy you know he ended up being a bandit his brother ended up becoming a priest and they have this argument and that's the point Tuco makes is like to get out of that you know to make any money in this world you either had to become a father or a bandit I chose the harder option I became a bandit I risked my life out there to earn a living you just stay here and take care of sick people <laughs> and, <laughs> and well he, they also take a vow of poverty come on uh, yeah it's I not, guess it's not like he's so. raking in it as a padre anyway that's true that's very true <laughs> but again yeah he's the only one who gets any kind of like backstory whatsoever mm. and honestly like that scene while I do kind of appreciate it and it's pretty well done i'm also like again this is a three-hour runtime and he's the only one who gets any backstory why is it kind of included so i don't know if maybe it wasn't included in the original cut or what but it's just kind of like funny that they just took the time out to do that and but and that's kind of the weird thing about watching this movie is like half the time i'm wondering like when there is kind of that superfluous stuff i'm like oh that adds a nice rich texture to this tapestry and the other times I'm like, this movie's already three hours. Why are you including this? <laughs> exactly. For me, the big, the me, for me, the big thing that really could have been cut was the whole bridge over the River Kwai se- uh, sequence. I'm just going to call it oh, that. Oh, damn. Yeah. Because at one point they just need to blow up a bridge. Yeah. Over- we should also explain this takes place during the Civil War. And they mm-hmm. fall in with, first as prisoners to, union, to the Union, and then fall in with Union troops. So... Yeah, exactly. Again, their their allegiance is also a little uh, fluid, let's say. <laughs> well, no, and that's what I actually love about the movie is, again, that moral ambiguity. Last mm. week we talked about uh, High Noon, and that movie is very boring because, again, the, the lines are so evenly drawn. You know, you have the good sheriff and you have the bad guys that are going to kill him. Whereas here it's like, it's titled The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, but there's no real true good character. There's no real true bad character. The, the quote-unquote bad guy... Uh, what do they call him? Angel Eyes? Angel Eyes, yeah. Yeah, Angel Eyes. Like, again, you know, they call him Angel Eyes. There's a bit of that moral ambiguity there. And again, he's a hitman, but he always finishes the job. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he he's just doing what he's doing to get paid. It's not like, you know, he's greedy or anything. I guess he is kind of greedy. They're all going after the same prize of gold, so. But it's like, it's funny because some guy tries to bribe him, and he says, like, no, I've already been paid my amount. So he does have a little bit of honor to him. Mm. And then you have, you know, the quote-unquote good character, Blondie, a.k.a. Clint Eastwood, who's yeah. a real scoundrel. <laughs> well, exactly. That's the one thing that I couldn't quite square. Um, again, there's one scene that kind of introduces them and, and basically their whole, uh, let's say, pathology, or their, their mm-hmm. whole modus operandi. Uh, with with uh, Tuco, the ugly, he's, he's, eventually, he's essentially a thief. Uh, with mm-hmm. Angel Eyes, the bad, he's a bounty hunter, and he does, um, in spite of getting paid by this guy, he fulfills his duty and kills his father and then but the kind of most morally ambiguous one as you said is in the introduction of Clint Eastwood's character um he is somewhat of a bounty hunter too in that he saves Tuco from three other bandits that are going to kill him mm-hmm. then he basically turns Tuco in for the uh reward money then saves Tuco then saves him from the execution mm-hmm. so that he can turn him in again for an even higher exactly. reward yeah so this is their this is the the their relationship this is their backstory together 
and eventually it's not like they kind of betray each other but it's like the bad basically just kind of like leaves him in the desert and doesn't really pay him his fair share so again he's not really on the moral high ground no neither of them are it's a very adversarial relationship until they need each other exactly and then Tuco again like swears revenge and then that's basically the first act is Tuco getting back to Blondie and basically like threatening him and basically getting the upper hand that's what I also kind of appreciate about this movie we think of you know Clint Eastwood and all these westerns as like the stern unflappable badass and then Tuco does kind of get his revenge a bit and we get to see Clint Eastwood kind of at a a really weak moment and I did really appreciate that three four five for me five for you and five for me know how much you're worth now no, how much? Three thousand dollars. There are two kinds of people in the world, my friend. Those with a rope around their neck and the people who have the job of doing the cutting. Listen, the neck at the end of the rope is mine. I run the risks. So the next time I want more than half. <laughs> you may run the risks, my friend, but I do the cutting. We cut down my percentage. Uh, cigar? Liable to interfere with my aim. Mm. But if you miss, you had better miss very well. Whoever double-crosses me and leaves me alive, he understands nothing about Tuco. <laughs> nothing. Yeah, I, I will say his character is similar to... A, a James Bond or an Indiana Jones, just kind of mm-hmm. like this, like archetype that we can all see see ourselves in. Um, and there are oh, moments. Oh, not me! I can't see myself. Yeah, <laughs> well, for 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 normal dudes, normal cool people like me, <laughs> for cool guys, yeah, we can identify with with cool dudes like Indiana Jones and Blondie, yeah. Oh, okay. Or sorry, the man the man with no name. He just calls him Blondie because he's he's blonde hair, blue eye, you know, gringo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, there are these moments where you know the character is vulnerable. However, they always get out of it, and they're always better better off for it. And mm-hmm. Blondie does this to Tuco first. He he realizes you know kind of the jig is up. You, I can't get a bounty for you anymore, so I'm just going to leave you out in the desert. Uh, mm-hmm. Tuco survives, and then does essentially the same to Blondie. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, the scene that the way that this that the stalwart character always gets back is uh, this plot about gold. There's apparently $200,000 hidden in a grave somewhere. And Tuco knows what the graveyard is, but he doesn't know what grave the gold is buried buried in. However, this guy on his deathbed does reveal it to Blondie. So now he needs <laughs> now he needs Blondie to help him out. And so, yeah, I guess By you the way, say, if you were confused by any of that explanation, don't worry, it's purely coincidental that they come across this exactly. of information. <laughs> it's a it's a runaway carriage with dead so- soldiers in it mm-hmm. and one is barely alive and one manages to tell Tuco the name of the gravesite that they need to go to yeah coincidentally some... he's the he's the he's the uh southern general that angel eyes is after so that's how <laughs> angel eyes gets gets implicated in this little scheme to get get this gold yes and as Tuco walks away to fetch him some water so he can tell them the rest of the information Blondie has walked over and heard the name of the actual grave. Yeah, he's dying. (laughs) Has heard the name of the actual grave that they need to dig in. So now Blondie has the name of the grave. Tuco has the actual grave site they need to go to. So now now they're back to being partners again, adversarial partners, because they have to get to this treasure. Yeah. So my my problem is, is, as you pointed out, like this is entirely coincidental. 
Um, it doesn't really involve Angel Eyes until later. And this literally happens, I checked, an hour into our three-hour movie. The main crux <laughs> yeah, of the exactly. plot, the pursuit of this gold, comes way too late. So as as a brilliant a filmmaker as Sergio Leone is in terms of framing and, and editing and those tight close-ups that he loved, like oh, it, yeah. his, his his pacing is so laborious. Like I just want to like get on with it. <laughs> No, and, and that's the thing. It's 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 like again, like going back to like Quentin Tarantino. It's like if you buy into it, that pacing can be really tense. But if you're not, you're just sitting there watching a boring movie. It's yeah. like it either works or it doesn't. So, and in this instance, it worked for me. So, okay. and again, like part of the reason why I do have to kind of give it some credit is that this is a three-hour movie. But again, the plot machinations that happen, it still moves at a pretty good clip. Early on in the movie, no, I'll dis- I'll dis- I disagree. I strong disagree. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right, but I mean, earlier in the movie, there's a scene. One of the early scenes we get with Angel Eyes is that you know he's gone to come kill somebody, mm-hmm. and again, it's this very slow, very tense scene where he walks into a house. There's no dialogue, and you know they're just slowly eating a meal together. Like he passes them a bowl, and mm-hmm. it's like it's literally five minutes of them just eating. Yeah, and then eventually they start talking, and they get into this comfort. Uh, confrontation obviously one of them ends up dead i'll let you guess who yeah um and again like that's something quentin tarantino always goes back to in all his movies sometimes it works like uh uh, django unchained that one it worked a lot well glorious bastards it didn't work at all because i did not give a shit and i was like all right just get to the point where you kill hitler i do not care move on and so in this and because it wasn't completely that for three hours i think that's why i appreciated it a lot more (laughs) well no instead you have scenes like uh Tuco has survived. Uh, basically, Blondie uh, abandons him out in the middle of the desert, but Tuco survives. Somehow he makes it back to town. Uh, mm-hmm. But he's got he's penniless. He's got nothing on him. So he goes to the gun store right before it closes, and it's just apparently a, a comedy scene. Again, in, <laughs> yeah. in massive quotes. Uh, where, you know, he's trying, he's assembling this gun, and there's this put-upon old shop owner who's like, oh, whatever you want. <laughs> just I just want to make the sale. And he assembles his gun, and then he basically holds up the owner to get some money. Did he really not have a plan for this? I like, the gun know, owner yeah. has to know. Don't let him try out the gun exactly. first. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. He should, he should have been an idiot, or <laughs> characterized as an idiot completely, but... <laughs> Like an aw shucks, like, oh yeah, I'm, I may be closing, but I'm here to serve any customer I can. <laughs> here, take a gun. How many bullets you need? Six? Here, let me load it for you. <laughs> yeah. But that scene takes about 20 minutes, and it's not funny enough to really kind of pull it out. I guess that's the other thing, too. Like, the, again, the real star of the show is Tuco, but he's he's ugly in, in his personality. Like, I can't identify with him. I can't follow him. See, I found him, I found it charming. I found right. that whole gun shop scene just a little bit charming because, again, Tuco is, he, he is ugly and obviously he's very morally compromised, but he is kind of almost mischievous and he does spare the gun owner, so it's not like he's, like, down and out evil. Um, <laughs> no, it just takes, it takes him for every penny he's worth. <laughs> exactly. But it's, I mean, he doesn't take all his merchandise. He only takes one gun. Come on. He leaves him with something. Right. I mean, obviously it becomes more morally ambiguous once he's like led Blondie out into the desert and watches him slowly kill himself. But yeah. um, I, I don't know. I like, I, I think the actor brings a lot of personality to Tuco and I think that's why it kind of works. Like, especially if the, if the main character were truly Clint Eastwood, I would be so bored, because again, he's just a blank slate. He's just a, you know, scowling badass, whereas, like, yeah. Tuco, you know, he has these moments where, you know, he's flustered, or he doesn't know what he's going to do next, and, you know, there's some actual challenge there, there's some actual personality there. I, I don't know, I mean, there just wasn't enough, I mean, I can get to kind of the details and why I think this movie's like a rough draft, or 
kind of their relationship too, because they they pull the scheme where Clint Eastwood will bring Tuco into town for money and then let allow him to escape, so he can bring him to another town to collect on the bounty and split it up. Mm-hmm. But only he only does it twice, so I don't know what their relationship is before that. You know, I don't, we clearly get a sense of that they that they abhor each other and you know <laughs> will torture each other and see see them die out in the, see each other die out in the middle of the desert but i guess that's true but again like yeah. i think this movie does kind of it it feels richer once you don't know the backstory which is why it feels so incongruous when we do get a little bit of Tuco's backstory you know because uh, yeah, again we don't I, know that i do appreciate like, like that's a yeah. that's a good scene between him and his brother like basically his brother trying to you know get him back to live a live a more holy lifestyle rather than being yeah. abandoned as he is so yeah it, so like, there you see a clear delineation between like what characters want and what the relationship yeah. is what about our parents only now do you think of them to begin after nine years nine years so it's nine years <laughs> nine years <laughs> our mother has been dead a long time now our father died only a few days ago. That's why I was away. He asked for you to be there. But there was only me. And you. Outside of evil, what else have you managed to do? It seems to me you once had a wife someplace. Not one lot of them. One here, one there, wherever I found Go on, preach me a sermon, Pablo. What good would that be? Just keep on the way you're going. Go away. And the Lord have mercy on your soul. Sure, I'll go, I'll go, while I'm waiting for the Lord to remember me. I, Tuco Ramirez, brother of brother Ramirez, will tell you something. You think you're better than I am. Where we came from, if one did not want to die of poverty, one became a priest or a bandit. You chose your way, I chose mine. Mine was harder. You talk of our mother and father. You remember when you left to become a priest, I stayed behind. I must have been 10, 12, I don't remember which, but I stayed. I tried, but it was no good. Now I'm going to tell you something. You became a priest because you were too much of a coward to do what I do. But again, but, like that's that's the fun of the Western is the fact that these are all self-made men, so their pasts don't matter. Yeah. It's like it's all about the present. It's how they're surviving now. I know now. So let's get to it now. Let's not <laughs> okay. wait five hours. <laughs> because the other, I guess, the another big plot point is they wind up in a as prisoners of war in a union yeah. in a union uh, jail. <laughs> Although I did find that really amusing, the way they did it. So they're dressed as Confederate soldiers, mm-hmm. and they see a whole battalion coming towards them. But you know, they see they're in gray suit, they're in gray uniforms. Yeah. And so he's like, "Oh, perfect. They'll, we'll just pretend like we're part of the regiment." Hey, you know, go General Lee. Screw that, you know, Ulysses S. Grant. And then when they actually arrive, they dust off the dirt, and then they reveal they're actually Union soldiers. Wah wah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was really clever. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, I think. The prison scene was kind of interesting in that it's another obstacle in their in their path. Like mm-hmm. they have a clear goal, but this is the most this is the most harrowing you know stop that they can make a, a, a tough you know where they're not treating prisoners of war particularly well. No, yeah, and it's actually it's really beautifully done. So mm-hmm. 
Angel Eyes is pretending to be a Union uh, general or something like that. He's kind of infiltrated so he can find this uh, soldier who knows the location of the hidden cache of gold. And he finds Tuco. He knows Tuco is under that assumed name. He knows he's not really them. So he starts torturing him to get this information. And, you know, we cut between the prisoners of war who are forced to kind of play this little song, this little ditty, and that with the torture scene. I think it's a really interesting joke. To cover up, yeah, to cover up the yeah. noise of uh, prisoners being tortured. But it's clear they know what's going on, so I don't know why they, why they even bother I, with this I mean, ruse. it's like, again, it's that juxtaposition. It's like this beautiful, sweet, sentimental song, and then it's a guy getting beaten to death. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's that's artfully done. Uh, yeah. But as as it progresses, like, I, I guess... I guess a, there's a sense of history to this movie too, which um, mm-hmm. the previous two movies that Leon did with uh, Clint Eastwood just didn't have. Yeah, which is why this is kind of out of order. <laughs> this is um, it's Clint Eastwood is supposed to be playing the same characters in A Fistful of Dollars and For a Few Dollars More, but this takes mm-hmm. place before then, and he befriends another character. Anyway, the chronology is confusing, but <laughs> <laughs> well, again, it's 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 loose sequelization. You know, the yeah. biggest kind of contemporary example I can think of is probably Mad Max. Where it's like oh, those yeah. movies aren't necessarily in chronological order, and then obviously he likes using the same actors, but they doesn't, they aren't necessarily playing the same characters. Like reading the trivia, like part of the reason why he did uh, Once Upon a Time in the West is that he finally got a chance to work with Charles Bronson. He kept wanting yeah. to work, like he kept trying to cast Charles Bronson in something, but he just couldn't. And I think he wanted Clint Eastwood for that part originally, anyway. But instead, he cast Charles Bronson. It probably would have been maybe the fourth part of this, you know, quote unquote trilogy or something like that. But and in Once Upon a Time in the West, he wrote a much better character for Charles Bronson. Um, but it was when, also a more boring movie. I, how is that one boring and this one's more interesting, John? You can't just say Tuco. <laughs> like, grabbed your interest a little bit more. Did he? Really? Well, I mean, there's more of a kind of a, a, a rat-a-tat between the two characters. <laughs> rat-a-tat? Are you going to say that with Clint Eastwood? <laughs> I mean, yeah, because again, they have contrasting personalities, and they both hate each other, but they're both in it for the same goal, so they're forced to be together. I know, but he's so, he's so Clint Eastwood's so tight-lipped or whatever. Again, he just has these little badass platitudes. Like, I do like that line, you know, there's two kinds of people in this world, those with loaded guns and those who dig. You dig, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there are there yeah. are fun little moments like that, but... Again, well, no, like, and uh, I mean, I can't really quantify this, but it's like, yes, this movie is extremely long, and it's extremely protracted, but I just feel like it has more of an energy to it, and maybe that's the score, maybe that's mm-hmm. kind of again those extreme close-ups and those kind of like jarring cuts and things like that. But I don't know, like, I I liked this a lot more than I liked Once Upon a Time in the West, and maybe yeah, it's just nuts. those, maybe it's just those crazy uh, intro credits <laughs> with those bad <laughs> animated horsemen getting blown up by cannons. I don't know. <laughs> I thought you would have hated that. They have like 15 different fonts in that opening title <laughs> sequence. I thought you would have been offended as a graphic designer. Yeah, but no, it's like it, it goes so far in the other direction that it almost becomes campy, and then you have to appreciate it. So Okay. All right, perhaps we should finally get to the end. Finally, we're at our big climax. Yes, the, the Mex- big climax. The Mexican standoff, which may be racist. <laughs> we finally get to the fireworks factory, the uh, Mexican yeah. standoff between the good, the bad, and the ugly. They, they're at this uh, graveyard. Again, I think they finally are... are Clint Eastwood finally gives the game up, which which grave it is, and so they mm-hmm. they stand at the middle of this. I'm not sure exactly what that is. This circular kind of I don't know. Maybe stone they were platform. just like, yeah, maybe they were just laying down a foundation so they could build a church or something. I don't know, but yeah. whatever it is, it's gorgeous. I yeah. loved that whole set piece. I thought it was absolutely gorgeous. And it goes on for 25 minutes. <laughs> oh, you know back. what? You know what? <laughs> 
I know he's trying to build tension, yes, but it it's it started to get like comical. I thought we were going to get another like forty minutes of extreme close up of Angel Eyes Tuco Blondie, Angel Eyes Tuco Blondie, Angel Eyes Tuco Blondie, Angel Eyes Tuco Blondie. Okay, Angel but here's Tuco, the thing Blondie. that makes it interesting. Up until this point, up until all three hours of this movie, we haven't seen yeah. like Angel Eyes really sweat. We've never seen like Angel Eyes really struggle. And in this final kind of moment, in this final confrontation, you know, he's got to face down two gunmen, which he does, you know, eventually. And that's the kind of nice conclusion of the story is that Tuco and Blondie both turn their guns on Angel Eyes. Because, again, again, even though they've had this contentious relationship, they still kind of keep their union. They still keep their bond. That already happened earlier in the movie when they take on Angel Eyes' posse. They yeah, do that's that earlier, awesome. and they still don't have. There's no relationship with Angel Eyes. They they literally talk to them once. No, yeah, uh, yeah, no. He, I look. Angel Eyes there's definitely not enough history. bad in this movie. Yeah, but yeah, it's not the it's not the final standoff between Charles Bronson and Henry Fonda in Once Upon a Time in the West. There's a lot of history there. Mm. Whereas here, that I just again there wasn't there wasn't an emotional investment for me. Again, pretty well done with those snappy edits and the great uh, Ennio Marconi score, but. I don't know, it just wasn't that... It, just the emotional connection, John, the emotional part of it wasn't there for me. No, you're absolutely right. There's definitely... It definitely takes too long to actually get to this final moment. And, I mean, if you call your movie The Good and Bad and the Ugly, give them all equal screen time, so... Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> like, don't don't say it's stars Clint Eastwood and have him have less screen time than Tuco does. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it's also I rewatched Guardians of the Galaxy recently, and it's like, yeah, they all meet up in the first 15 minutes, because that's what you sold us. That's what we want yeah. to see. <laughs> Move it along, guys. Come on. Yeah. Well, um, he didn't have Sergio Leone didn't read Save the Cat. He doesn't know all the, the there beats that he has to hit. Yeah, it's too bad. It's too bad. Yeah. When are all movies just going to be the Marvel formula? Come on. Exactly. Please. Going to be a hero's journey. Save the cat. You know, Robert mm-hmm. McKean. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then, uh, uh, so obviously Angel Eyes bites it. Yeah. Um, turns out Tuco didn't have a loaded gun, so there you go. Um, <laughs> Whoops. Um, and then they dig up the gold, and uh, they split their wages, but obviously Clint Eastwood's the one with the gun. So what yeah. he ends up doing is he hangs Tuco very precariously on a grave. Yeah, puts the noose around his neck and lets him precariously stand on this, uh, on this uh, gravestone. Exactly, and kind of leaves him there to die. Or so you think. But again, Clint Eastwood, even though he's a ne'er-do-well, 
is still a man of honor. So what does he do? He rides off to the very perimeter of the gravesite, turns around, takes out his Winchester, and he shoots the rope, just like they did old times. Ugh. And uh, he rides off. Because he just loves messing with him. <laughs> yeah, the old, that old prankster Clinton. Yeah. <laughs> you thought you were going to die. <laughs> and again, Tuco like, shouts at him and calls his mother a whore or something like that. I don't know. Like, again, again yeah. it's, I thought it brought it full circle right. for me. Again, because I bought into this relationship. Obviously, you did not. I was more invested in it, so it worked for me. And yes, I will agree it's a little protracted, but no, I th- and it's funny because again, like trying to read like what was in the original theatrical release and then what was added in later, it's kind of funny that this was left out because again, I thought it was a nice, you know, not a nice moment between them, but it does again bring that whole story full circle. So well, I'm kind of surprised no, because, that they cut it. Well, because theater owners want more screenings so that they can get more <laughs> money, so make it shorter. <laughs> But this was in the 1960s. You paid like a penny and like, you know, got to watch like eight movies in a row, right? Yeah, exactly. They couldn't they couldn't fill their days. <laughs> what else were you going to do in the 60s? Go out to make out point? I know. <laughs> Buy a malt? I don't know. Not go to college? <laughs> <laughs> Work at a factory job? <laughs> How oh, yeah. quaint. Anyway, if I feel like if you want to see a better version of this, see Once Upon a Time in the West. <laughs> no, no. That movie's boring. Again, I can't, I can't quite square how you consider that movie boring, but this one somehow drew you in. Again, I don't know. If, maybe it's just the powerful charisma of one Eli Wallach that just drew you in. I think it is. Ugh, those eyes. He was <laughs> the real angel eyes. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I don't want to, you know, comment on another man's attractiveness, but yeah, it was more his personality that's ugly. Wait, are, excuse was... me. Excuse me. Are you saying that you thought the man who's characterized as ugly was ugly? <laughs> No, feel... I, I, quite the opposite, actually. I thought he would he should have had worse teeth. <laughs> Maybe like a, a lazy eye or something like that. Well, it's funny. The first character is introduced has like a scar. So yeah. it's like, maybe it's playing with your expectations. Like, you think, like, oh, this is the titular ugly. But no, mm-hmm. we get that big title card flash. <laughs> the ugly. Which is funny that they do that at the end as well. And again, they yeah, do it in reverse order. It's always the ugly, the bad, the good. Okay. Nobody would see that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Good, the Ew, bad, and the gross. ugly, so, though, sold. <laughs> mm, yes, please. Hamburger. <laughs> what are you, Jughead? <laughs> I don't know why I thought of that. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised at how much I enjoyed this movie. I'm genuinely surprised, too. I thought you would, yeah. have, you would not have liked it. Because you've been mild on all these westerns we've looked at. Um, you, haven't, you haven't really yeah. found a, a, a good... You, know, you haven't rooted for all of them, so... No, Again, and it's, I, it's I, like you don't believe in American colonialism <laughs> and manifest destiny. It's because I just hate toxic masculinity so much, guys. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm That's so true. woke. I'm so, like, uh, enlightened. That it's just, mm-hmm. like, it just bounces off me. Yeah. So tune in next week when we look at uh, Jane Got a Gun, starring uh, Natalie Portman. <laughs> or maybe we'll revisit Winona Earp. Huh? Huh? Uh, is that uh, a, wait? Now I'm thinking, is that a genuine movie? <laughs> yes, it is. It's a real okay. movie. I see it on Netflix all the time. <laughs> Got it. I think it's a Netflix exclusive. <laughs> all right. If it starred Winona Ryder, that'd be awesome. Ugh, if only. But if, if not, only. forget it. Yeah, I'll forget it. Unfortunately, the universe is not that beautiful. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, John, let's bring a light into the universe. Let's bring something beautiful to the people. Yes. Let's let's clear the air of all this horrible, again, I wish I could come up with a better term for it than toxic masculinity, but let's just call it what it is. So let's uh-huh. cast it out with a big, beautiful spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. We're killing those germs and bacteria with our big, beautiful spotlight. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> Who goes first this week? 
uh, I don't know. I didn't. I forgot to ask what you had. Like, here, let me do it right now. John, what do you have for Spotlight this week? <laughs> well, it just wrapped up its first season on HBO, so I have to, you know, normally I'd be like talking about Westworld again and how great mm-hmm. it is and how much I love it because that's why we're doing this. But no, yeah. I have to give my credence to another HBO series that just premiered, and it's Barry. Batty. Batty. <laughs> Yeah, if there's one breakout character, it is no ho, Frank. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but um, anyway, John, explain. <laughs> Barry is uh, the titular character, played by Bill Hader, mm-hmm. and he is a former Marine, now newly minted hitman, who works for Stephen Root. Um, we don't really give much of their backstory. Um, no, I wouldn't say newly it, minted. He's, he seems very good at his job. No, and that's yeah, that's the thing. He's kind of emotionally dead because of it, mm-hmm. which is why it's an interesting uh, turn when he ends up having to kill an actor or someone in an acting class, yeah. and he ends up visiting this acting class and catches that bug <laughs> yep. and realizes he wants to be an actor, and he wants to finally leave this life of killing people for money. Mm-hmm. And Again, the contrast is the fact that he's a hitman. He's kind of emotionally dead inside, and now he's very kind of, stoic. Yeah, yeah. Now he's trying to force himself to act, and he's terrible at it. So <laughs> well, no, he's, that, he's surrounded by these like overwhelmingly energetic people. Well, no, no. And the point is that he's bad at acting. No, because again, well, they're the all thing, bad at acting. <laughs> well, yes, they're all no. Like I mean, the 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 main love interest, you know, she has potential. But again, yeah. you know, it's very much implied that she's in it for the wrong reasons. You know, no one's in it for the art. They're all like, did you hear what he booked? Did you Like, they all want to be stars. Yeah. Um, because, again, it's L.A. And I think that's another thing I appreciate about the show, maybe a little bit more than you, is that the L.A. satire of it all is the fact that, again, these people aren't, they don't want to be actors for the art. They want to be actors because they want to be movie stars. Yeah, I, and it, I know. These, these people do exist, yes. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the the I, I find, I, it gets a lot of comic mileage out of the fact that, you know, they do all these scenes you know, on a stage in a theater, but it's actually like they're all from movies. Mm-hmm. And the only time that they get like any kind of like close to cultural significance is that they do some kind of like Shakespeare review. But again, like the main crux of the comedy comes from the fact that Barry is, you know, uh, what he's really, really good at killing people kind of deadens him emotionally. And the thing he really, really wants to do acting, he's terrible at. And again, the two I, kind I, of go hand in hand. Yeah, well, that, that's the thing. I mean, I feel like maybe not enough. It's only eight episodes, and they're they're good jokes. Um, it's just like I wish I wish it was more devoted to his acting ambition. Instead, he gets caught up in this kind of double life, uh, yeah. and mostly back into his his life as a hitman um, that he obviously wants to escape from. It's just mm-hmm. a matter that the the acting class doesn't really factor into that. They've got their own kind of plot line going. So I wish I wish they were integrated just a bit more. No, yeah, and again, I think that's probably something that they're exploring in the first season: the fact that he can't completely rip himself from this life he keeps getting roped back into these schemes where he has to kill people mm-hmm. and obviously it hurts him more and more emotionally but again like the nice kind of uh, spoiler alert. i don't want to spoil it for you but again like the fact that he ends up killing people that you know really don't deserve it you know it really does hurt him inside like and he, then he actually brings that to one of his acting roles and the great irony of the fact is whatever you're doing keep it up because yeah. you really nailed it tonight <laughs> Yeah, that's my favorite episode, the one you're referring to. Again, we won't get into details, but yeah, that's the one time where, again, like his his double life, like one life really feeds the other. Exactly. So I wish I wish there was more of that, and I also wish um, some of the characters. There's another HBO sitcom that's that's guilty of this, but all the characters are kind of um, cartoony and flailing in their own way. 
Yeah. And so, like, I never... He's, he's obviously under threat from a, a Chechnyan mob, mm-hmm. as well as a Colombian mob, but as we're introduced to them, they're all like, oh, super super nice and swell. <laughs> and so you never you never take them seriously as a threat. And, yeah, I didn't like that, you know, as, as you mentioned, Barry's, you know, stoic, stone-cold, you know, really emotionally detached, but all the other characters are cartoons. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, uh, I really the, like the acting coach is played by Harry Winkler, so yeah. you know there's only so much drama that he can mine from that. So <laughs> yeah, well, that's why I'm wondering. Like we're introduced with the first scene, like he does pull a good performance out of somebody, and I thought like, oh, he's a good actor. But there's another scene later, and they don't really bring it back. But he's like, he does these like crappy like one line auditions. Like he's not. He's not no, known. yeah, and that's yeah. He, again, he has ambitions to act too, and he's kind of like a phony in that way. So yeah, I was exactly. Like, it's That's... either is it's one or the other. Like he's either a really good teacher and kind of like flamboyant, or he's a fraud and he's like desperately trying to hide that from his students. I mean, so, maybe like, it can be it? both. Maybe yeah, it can be both. Right. You know? Oh no, I want like to... again. Like I mean, there's another kind of subplot involving him and the, a detective, and you know, like is he really interested in her for a relationship, or is he just trying to kind of like convince her that he is like kind of a success i don't know you know it's it's kind of ambiguous like that. well that, yeah, it's a weird it's a weird character that he's playing kind of yeah well I and also the... because <laughs> the other tricky thing is the fact that the show is called barry and you've got yeah. harry winkler and every time i see those two words together i think barry zuckercorn <laughs> yeah well we'll talk about arrested development later <laughs> okay wow you should be the lawyer <laughs> and it's almost lunchtime so i'm gonna hop off to burger king <laughs> No, you're right. It's like everyone besides Barry's just maybe like turned up a little too high on the satire yeah. side, like a little too kind of cartoonish. But again, it's it's funny and it's very like the story is very well constructed. And of course, I can't get out of it without mentioning another favorite scene of mine. Um, Barry's in the class and he's given uh, they're doing Glengarry Glen Ross, <laughs> and he's given the um, <laughs> coffees for closer speech and then completely misreads it. Yeah, because he, well, hey yeah, guys, he's, he's not familiar. Coffee- with them. <laughs> Hey, put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers, guys. First prize, <laughs> set of steak knives. Third prize Second is, prize. It's Caledonic El Dorado. Yeah. Third prize is you're fired. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, th- I think it's a really good show, and I think it's worth investing in, so check it out. Yeah. And it's only eight episodes, so what, what else are you going to do? Exactly. Just Spend help. time with loved ones? I don't think so. <laughs> no, just take an afternoon. That's why I love sitcoms or whatever. Banging out in an afternoon. I'm not taking these hour and a half long Westworld episodes. Get out of here. My time is precious. <laughs> I'm watching Barry in Silicon Valley. Come on. Basic. You're basic. <laughs> oh, oh, is that what you think, John? Oh, oh, oh my. Yeah. Well, let's see what you have for Spotlight, and maybe we'll reevaluate things. Yes. Uh, I believe I mentioned this last year. I was lucky enough to go to uh, the country of Kyrgyzstan in Central Asia, and I will be returning this summer. Oh boy, here we go again. Yeah, he's going on about Kyrgyzstan. Yeah, John can pronounce it right. Come on. Uh, he's going off to Chechnya or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, I'll tell you who cares. Me. I'm trying to immerse myself more in the culture. So I caught a screening of uh, one of their biggest films of the last few years. They only, the country can only produce maybe like one or two films. You know, they they got to pour all the money into their corrupt politicians. Anyway, that's either here or there. <laughs> But uh, this, I got a chance to catch a, a biographical film of uh, Kermajan Datka, the Queen of the Mountains. <laughs> Are you reading off his Wikipedia entry? Because no, I, I just wanted to make sure I pronounced it right. I'm just gonna go. I'm just gonna go in and assume that 99.9% of our audience has no idea who Kermajan Datka is. So I will explain. <laughs> okay. She was a tribal leader in the 19th century. So 
it's Kyrgyzstan is basically was on the Silk Road, and it's a bunch of kind of tribal nomadic people. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, she she was very progressive. Um, she it was in an arranged marriage. She's like, no, I'm not about that noise. And instead, you know, married for love, and she wound up with a governor. Uh, and the governor passed away. And well, actually, the story's a little more complicated. Than that it didn't pass away. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a, a nice, friendly passing. <laughs> but she assumed in his sleep. Yeah. Exactly. Not not quite. Um, so she assumed leadership, and then there was there was an attack um, from the people of Kokand, uh, which is now Uzbekistan. Ugh, Uzbekistan dogs. Anyway, <laughs> gross. Yeah. And although initially, like it feels like, oh, the women and children should flee. She's like, no, again, not about that noise. We're gonna stand and fight. And she mm-hmm. helped succeed, and she fought off this ex- attack against the Uzbekistan dogs. So okay. Is this yeah. a is this a drama is this a nonfiction film or a fictional? Film? Yeah, no. Is so this... sorry. Yeah, that's that's her life. But um, yes, this is a this is a grand biopic in the tradition of uh, Doctor Zhivago or uh, let's say even like Titanic, for instance. And I think a lot. Grand means long. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's deliberately paced um, at times like corny, again, kind of like old fashioned. So the the acting is very you know histrionic. Uh, but, but it's grand in the scope in terms of, you know, Kyrgyzstan is this beautiful country with, a, you know, pastures that go on for to the horizon and these uh, incredibly tall mountains. You know, it's right next to the Himalayas. So you see these like 14,000 foot snow-capped peaks. So they're, they're, it really captures that kind of like beautiful geography. You know, things like the, uh, the set design is all brilliant and especially the costume design. John, okay. let me tell you about hats. <laughs> <laughs> If you Google Kermajan uh, Dotka, you will see uh, she's got a very particular hat—a giant hat. It's like a—it's like a basket. Okay, it's, good to know. I was picturing a baba ganoush or something like that. That's, John, that's a food. Bob, uh, not a baba ganoush. What was yeah. I thinking of? A, a babka or whatever. Yeah, it's kind of like a turban, but it's like thirty feet of cloth that they put on their head. Uh, that's multi-purpose. They can use it to uh, smoddle newborns. Um, if a loved one passes away, they can wrap them in cloth for the funeral. Okay. So it's multi-purpose. Uh, hats are very important. So this movie's hat game is on point. Okay. <laughs> as well as the, as well as the costume. So again, it's an elaborately produced uh, kind of big biopic. Again, a little slow, and you know, obviously it's it's not a it's not like they have a huge film industry. So there are little like you know little things that'll take you out of it. Like one actor plays a character like thirty years apart, and mm-hmm. so like thirty years later, you see a little bit of like powdered sugar on his beard to <laughs> indicate that he's older. You know, that he's wizened. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, actors make up when they try to make a kids look actor they just put lines on their face with like a carbon pencil yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> like the end of uh, Harry Potter anyway there you go <laughs> yeah and that was a Hollywood production so oh boy exactly <laughs> yep some scenes take place in the dead of blue filter night um, oh okay <laughs> yeah it's weird Weird how you see shadows at night but yeah anyway there's so many boom mics in this town what's going on <laughs> oh, okay nothing nothing that out there all right okay <laughs> it's still a, it's still a competent production i won't say it's the greatest movie of all time but hey it it it's uh it really captures all the cultural touchstones of kyrgyzstan they want this to be like based essentially an ad for their country because they've, oh, okay. they've been independent since the fall of the soviet union and it's probably the first time they've been independent in over two centuries so they're pretty. They're pretty nationalistic now and patriotic, and that's what they want to, you know, advertise in the biography of this extraordinary woman. Well, that's and just you know the Russian bots just infiltrating their uh, Facebook and telling them what to think. So. Well, yeah. Well, that does happen later. So they do fight off this uh, this band from uh, the city of Kokand, but uh, later the the Russian Empire does invade. Some czarists 
come in, come into town, and um, yeah, she's got she's got some difficult decisions to face there. Um, Classic Russia, always yeah. invading. Yeah, those Russians be a poppin', let me tell you. <laughs> You'd think they would have learned from the Nazis or Napoleon. Don't invade; it doesn't work out. <laughs> no, don't don't invade inland. They're going out, John. Okay, fair. Yeah, enough. so it's kind of like reverse success rate. <laughs> Everywhere okay. they go, it's better. <laughs> fair enough. Well, I'm glad you appreciated it, and I hope you have fun in Georgia when you go back this summer. So. <laughs> I love the city of Atlanta. It's great. <laughs> Estonia, wherever you end up. Just yeah, some just... Russian block. It's all concrete and overcast. <laughs> <laughs> they have sun there, John. They have the okay. same sun that you have. <laughs> no, it's from the Soviet era, okay? It's always overcast. <laughs> There's always snow on the ground in Moscow. They don't have seasons there. <laughs> well, if anybody would like updates on my trip this summer... <laughs> Yes, Greg runs our Twitter page, so please yeah. follow us there to, <laughs> in case Greg gets kidnapped. Yeah, I've... he'll be tweet, he'll be live tweeting the whole experience. Yes, they do. They do have Wi-Fi there too. <laughs> <laughs> and I run our Facebook page, so please give us a like, and you'll catch all the latest news and updates from us, the aspiring mm-hmm. snobs. Absolutely. And then, if you really want to help us out, I mean, that's how we help you out is via social media. But if you really want to help us out, go to your podcast platform of choice, whether that be. Mm-hmm. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Player FM, all of them. But they all have ratings. So if you just go to that little rating, give us give us a review, five stars, you know, saying, hey, these guys are pretty cool, you know. Yep, smack that subscribe button, and you'll be helping other people find us too. The yeah. way these, like, algorithms work is that the more people who have interest, the more it pushes it to gain interest. It's right. kind of like a, it's like a rolling stone that gathers moss. Yeah, exactly. I don't know who this algorithm guy is, but I, I, <laughs> I feel like he's got some, he's doing some pretty amazing stuff on the internet. Can we <laughs> add a slide whistle? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, 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 right here. I can't believe, no, I've never heard that joke before. I'm a comedy pioneer. <laughs> this algorithm is running Facebook and Google into the ground. Why does he work for both companies? I know. He's the most powerful man on the internet. Mr. Gorithm. <laughs> basically controls what you find. Greg's just adding more to a solid five. Thank yep. you, folks. Yes, thank you. Take my wife, please. <laughs> uh, well, Greg, now that we've drawn him in with our comedy gold, yeah, let's draw him in even further. Uh, I know, John. Do we want to reveal what how we're going to terminate Western Month? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. Maybe we should, maybe we should leave it uh, ambiguous. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, just to give folks a hint... We've looked at a Western from the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, and now the 60s. So next yes. week, we're obviously going to look at a Western from the 70s. Mm-hmm. But John, which one? Is it one of yeah. my favorite movies, Bad Company? One that only I, a movie I've only heard of? <laughs> or maybe it draws some inspiration that a certain TV show draws from. Ooh, I wonder. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next week, keep aspiring, you son of a... Yeah!